0: Hi guys. Welcome back to Autoimmune and You. Today we're going to continue a conversation from our last episode, episode eight. And so if you haven't listened to that, you definitely want to go check that out because today we're going to be continuing on with what we were talking about. Let's jump in.
1: Seriously, kudos to Garrett for being there for you in such an amazing way. And I totally get what you mean by being able to go back to that feeling. I remember literally standing at the bathtub in my apartment during that week that I was alone and Mm -hmm. I literally had to take my hands and Mm -hmm. lift my leg into the tub as a Mm -hmm. 23 year old. Mm -hmm. I remember that so vividly. Those are the things that my brain holds on to. I don't, it's hard to look back at like timelines and stuff like that, but I I can picture this so like I have a very photographic memory. So anything Mm -hmm. dealing with that, I can easily remember. So And then I was standing in the tub without the water on yet because I was scared to fall because I was an occupational therapist and knew that was like a huge fall risk. I literally was treating myself as if I was a nine-year-old patient. Yep. As a 23-year-old, and I remember looking and being like, okay, I haven't turned the water on yet. Do I want to sit or stand during the shower? If I sit Mm -hmm. down, I might not be able to get out of this bathtub because I'm like too far down. If I stand, I feel like I might fall because I can't stand for long. But I ended up literally taking a two-minute shower because I couldn't – I was scared that if it was any longer, I wouldn't be able to sustain the standing. Mm -hmm. And same thing, getting out, I had to lift my legs out of the tub, Mm -hmm. sit on the edge of the tub. Like it was crazy that feeling, but going through that with myself built such incredible resilience and strength. And like, I look back at that girl and I just have so much love and, and support in my heart for myself and how far I've come. And it's just like, so amazing to look back and think where I am now. And I want every single person listening to know that if that's where you're at right now, Mm -hmm. you can do this for yourself. You have to work on that relationship within yourself because you can absolutely, of course, the support and the love of other people is huge, but that's not going to make all the difference. All the difference comes from within. And I will say like, when my boyfriend at the yep. time like came back from his trip, I've I've talked a lot about that like one week period. But when he came back, of course, you know, he was supportive. He like did what he could to understand. But at the end of the day, he just didn't understand. You know, he was super mm. healthy. He was working out. He was eating right, whatever. Yeah. And I was trying to just figure out what the heck was going on. From there, you know, a lot of stuff happened and I was able to get back into fitness, blah, blah, blah. And then from that point, he definitely – he was pretty supportive in, in the way that he had capacity for. Yeah. And that proves, like, if I'm being completely honest, would he have, like, sat on the toilet while I was crying in the tub? Probably not. But at mm. the, but to be honest, he probably wouldn't have known I was crying in the tub because that's just not yeah. – I would have been doing that alone anyway. Mm, um, yeah. That's not something that I ever, like, really – have been open about sharing with other people and that's just Mm -hmm. the difference of people right that we all deal with things differently and it's okay if other people don't necessarily have that capacity to be there for you while it's hard to say like you need to give them grace you kind of do you Mm -hmm. have to at least you don't necessarily have to, like, jump in and be like, oh, it's fine, they're not supporting me. But having that understanding that not everyone's capacity is the same and that people kind of cope and grieve through things differently, having that Mm -hmm. understanding will also make it easier for you to go through because Mm -hmm. you won't necessarily be expecting it from people that just can't give it.
0: Well, not only that is, yeah, they don't have the tools in their, you know, in their mind to – be there for you the way that you need them to be there. I think part of living with a disease is that there is a lot of wisdom that you gain as each year goes by. And you're not, you don't just have all that the moment you get diagnosed. It takes time to not only learn about yourself, but learn the ways that other people operate, right? Mm -hmm. And so, going through all this has taught me now as a health coach how I can help. Well, one, now I know how to truly be there for my clients, especially when they're first diagnosed Mm, because I've been through that and I try to be the support for them that I never had and that maybe Mm -hmm. they don't have currently in their life. So that's that's definitely – um, priority to me but you know when I look back it was really crappy in the moment Is not I'm not gonna lie I'm not gonna say like oh yeah that was fun not having people understand it <laughs> right. but but I will say now that it is made me so much more empathetic to not just illnesses but to so many other things mm-hmm. extending out of my own personal life You know what I mean? Like when it comes to like, I've always been this way. My mom's, you know, my grandma was like that. My mom was like that. We've always been deeply compassionate, empathetic people. And I thought, oh, like I have pretty good empathy. But this has made that go far beyond what I ever thought was even possible. And so I'm thankful that now I get to be there for other people that are, you know, starting off on this journey and feeling exactly the same Mm -hmm. way I felt Five years ago, exactly the way that you felt five years ago. And so there will come a time, trust me, where you can feel like kind of grateful for Mm -hmm. the things that you've gone through. And you can't force that in that moment. It'll come to you when you really come to that realization.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. I feel the exact same way that. If you would have asked me two years ago, even two years into my diagnosis, if I'm grateful for it, I probably would have said no. But especially in these past two years, I have grown even more exponentially. But also the fact that in in the past two years, I've been able to be the coach that I never had when I was first diagnosed. And now within the past six months, I've created this autoimmune goddess collective, like this support group. And you have an RA support group that you run. Like we have built, not only we we are not only a single support for someone, but we have these communities that we have yeah. built outside of the social media space. That is so important to have. And I feel very grateful that I can provide that to people. And that is, I'm the same way. It's my biggest mission is to be that light that I never had when I was diagnosed and show people what is possible and that they can be their own best healers. Because Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really hard when you feel like you're completely alone. And even if you do have good support in place, Um, people don't necessarily know exactly how to handle you. They're like, okay, well, I knew you before this diagnosis. And like, where'd you go? They don't see the physical internal struggle that you go through that, kind of molds you into a different person and you can either let it mold you into a person that is resilient and, bra- oh. and strong and brave and courageous or you can let it mold you into this shell of a person that is depressed and that is hopeless and that is full of despair and I'm not saying that we never feel those things but I'm saying we are not that
0: yeah And I'm sorry I was like screaming back here (laughs) to you because I, I wanted to get this out before I forgot about it. But you bring up a really freaking good point, which is people don't not only are you getting diagnosed with this disease, right? Something that you have to live with for the rest of your life. You shed this old version mm-hmm. of yourself that other people knew of you. Mm-hmm. And this is actually what I wanted to talk about. And I totally forgot. And you just reminded me. These friends that I detached from at that time are kind of, you know, separated a little bit from was because not only did they just not have the capability to, you know, emotionally deal with the things that I was going through, they couldn't accept this new person that I I was becoming because of the fact I had totally changed my diet and I totally changed my lifestyle from the very beginning that I got diagnosed, okay? And I went into it head first and I was like, no more fast food, no more fried food. Like, you know, drinking my green juices every morning. And some people knew me as, especially some coworkers that I worked with, we used to get Panera bread every single morning with cream cheese and then go mm-hmm. get a Starbucks coffee. That was and my
1: then, shit! And, then, <laughs> right, and, and
0: then, Yeah, and then on our lunch break, we'd go get Chick-fil-A. And so a lot of how people saw me was kind of around this identity of, it's so weird how food can become a part of your identity, mm-hmm. but it's like this shared thing that you experience mm-hmm. together when you eat with people and when you go out to drink. And I had stopped all that stuff for a couple of years. And so I think a lot of people, it was kind of, threatening to their own self, even though I was doing it purely because I literally had to and had it had a disease. I think some people took it personal as like, oh you think your lifestyle is better than me. Yes. Um no, I have to do this for myself. I cannot go out to drink with you every weekend. Mm -hmm. I can't go to McDonald's and, you know, eat this crappy food and feel crappy with it with you afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so I feel crappy with you. (laughs) yeah no exactly but that's how it was we would always we would eat these you know a couple of people that I knew we would eat this way with especially people that I worked with and then we would sit and complain it was like a routine (laughs) we would complain about how bloated we felt how like we shouldn't have spent our last seven dollars on Chick-fil-a because you know girl at that time I wasn't making a lot of money um and so especially with all my student debt and everything that I had um so yeah it was just kind of this like ritual and I felt like these people in particular didn't like this new version of Erica that was evolving because Mm -hmm. I was really creating boundaries for myself, not just emotionally, but when it came to like diet and the -hmm. lifestyle choices that I was making. And so people are not equipped to deal with that when they go, Mm -hmm. oh, I knew this version of Erica who loved cheese bagels and all we thought about for our breakfast was what we were going to eat for lunch. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things that you think about a person and then all of a sudden they're not doing that anymore. They don't, yeah, they just don't like it.
1: This kind of goes back to not really wanting to make a big deal out of things. So when I would go out to eat with friends or with my fiance slash husband at the time, I would still order things that I wasn't necessarily always eating. Up until like two years ago still, well, actually I've been um, meat free for over two years. So like before that I would still get things like, I don't know, like creamy mashed potatoes with butter in it and like eat steak and stuff like that, even though that wasn't my norm otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it took me a really long time up until now. Like if I go out to eat, I'm not getting those things, even though I might really want some really creamy mashed potatoes. I'm not going to do it. Cause I know for me mm-hmm. personally, that it's not going to make me feel good, but I was still doing it because I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. I was like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. sure. We can split that or like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll have five drinks just because everyone Mm -hmm. else is like you Mm -hmm. kind of feed into that peer pressure just because you don't want to. Maybe you're maybe I wasn't ready for Mm -hmm. showing outwardly how much I have changed. Mm -hmm. And it really has taken me until honestly, very recently within the past year or two to be like no, you know what? I know that I eat this way because it makes me feel good and I'm not willing to sacrifice that. Mm -hmm. Like maybe, maybe once in a while, every like couple of months, I'll have like a bite or two of something with gluten, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Other than that, there's just way too many good alternatives out there where I don't need to eat that because I know that I can have something else and feel just as satisfied. That's a little bit of a uh, whatever digression, but is that a word? Digression? (laughs) I digress. (laughs) Anyway, that's a little bit off topic. But my point in that being, I was so in that identity of like, we go out to eat, we indulge, we eat all of this rich food. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was part of who I identified as. And it took me a really long time to disconnect from that and realize that doesn't make me feel good. Why am I doing this to myself? I was attaching to it because of that social piece, because I wanted to feel quote unquote normal. But it's like you have to build into this new normal version of yourself and really embrace it.
0: Yeah. So let me tell you what I think I was able to hold such high boundaries for myself and like made it clear to a lot of people in my life the way that I was eating and why they were so accommodating to the way that I was living was because, like I said, that first couple years of me uh, changing my diet, we didn't go out to eat a lot. Mm. We like literally For the first year, I promise you, we maybe had Chipotle like a bowl, like (laughs) twice, but I was so determined to get this under control that I was like, okay, I I was like scared of food at that point. It was at an unhealthy point. I was like, I don't want to go out. I don't Mm -hmm. want, I don't trust anything. And so I didn't go out. We didn't really go out to eat for the first year. And so that was just me and my husband. And then... I think because I had built such a long time understanding the foods that were bothering me and the way that I wanted to live mm-hmm. that when we finally did go out I was already it was already ingrained in yeah, my head that and makes I sense. had already set that for myself mm. and so I think that's why I had a little bit of an advantage and then, but, but still, when I came out to people and was like, oh, I can't have that. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. there was you know, there was the confusion of like, huh? You can't Oh, have yeah, for like, sure. Like, what do you mean? Like, this is just a tomato or this. Yeah. <laughs> is- because at that point, I was avoiding nightshades. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wasn't, ha- when I, that first year, um, I explained before the first year, my naturopathic doctor, the first naturopathic doctor put me on this paleo diet. So I wasn't even having, uh, I wasn't having any nightshades. So I didn't even have potatoes. Mm -hmm. And so I remember like, one of the first places, maybe it was even eating at a friend's house. They were like, Oh, can I make this for you? Like, this is plant based. And I was like, I can't have white potatoes. Cause at that point, I was only eating sweet potatoes. And I was like, I can't have tomatoes. I was like, I can't have eggplant. And I remember my friend tried to do the best thing she possibly could. And she used grapeseed oil. And I was like, Oh, girl. <laughs> I was like, I can't eat this. It's got grapeseed oil. She's like, I thought grapeseed oil was healthy. I was like, Oh, no, it's very high in omega 6. I can't eat that. So, anyways yeah it is a little bit of an adjustment for your friends because they too have to learn the things that make you feel good but once they see that you start to improve because of the boundaries that you've set in place Mm -hmm. they are gonna be on trust me they'll start to be on board with you and in fact They may even want to try this themselves because you're feeling so good that they also want to start to feel good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I think it's, I love these conversations and I love that people can hear this because you and I have very different journeys. Like you have a very different story than I do, even with food, with your diagnosis, Mm -hmm. with all of it. And it's so cool that first of all, we can have these conversations. Second of all, that other people get to hear this because it's really important to realize everyone's journey is so different. That's why we have this podcast is to be there to support you and- If it was just Erica's podcast or if it was just my podcast, yes, you would still learn and you would still maybe relate. But now Mm -hmm. you have this opportunity to be like, oh, I relate to this part of her story and this part of Rachel's story. And it's, I don't know. It's just really cool. But anyway. So, no, I love
0: that. I think that's a really good thing to point out because yeah. we often get really attached to one person's story, mm-hmm. and then we think if it's not like that, then I must be doing yes. something wrong on my journey. But mm-hmm. it's like, look at Rachel and I are pretty much at the same position. We're mm-hmm. both doing fairly well with our health. We help others. We're you know we've totally changed our mindset, but yet we have our our timelines. And the things that we've done at different points and our social support and all that kind of stuff is very different. But we still came to the same conclusion. Exactly. Which is crazy. That's such a good point. Yeah,
1: I have, again, a different story when it comes to that because you have had the same group of friends for quite some time. Whereas I definitely have a kind of core – few friends, but I wouldn't call it a group of friends. My core friends are kind of like spread out and like those friends aren't necessarily friends, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And like I said, my one friend, Alexis, um, you mentioned that your friend was in Colorado and was never really close to you. She was in Colorado. I was in California. We never oh. were like in the same place at the same time before. I just moved to Portland five months ago and she lives here. So like now we're in the same place at the same time. And that has just been the most incredible support. But mm-hmm. before that, we were in very different places yeah. too. So as much as she definitely has always been my biggest support, I didn't have her immediately there. Yep. And to be honest, like, I am grateful that as my disease has progressed, my kind of life has progressed where I have had different groups of friends. And as I've progressed, I have progressed to a point where now the friends that I have here in Portland are so understanding of the way that I eat, Mm -hmm. have never looked down on me for it, are literally... Mm asking me what can I do how are you feeling like not even just with food but like how are your knees feeling are you feeling okay today how is your energy and it's so crazy to see the difference between the let's say like restaurant friends for instance that saw me before I was diagnosed and then saw me after and they're like oh well you know you can have a bite of this it's fine and then I'd be like oh yeah you're right it's fine Mm, at the beginning mm -hmm. I would do it I'd be like yeah I guess yeah you're it's fine. I don't want to deprive mm-hmm. myself, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I truly don't believe in depriving myself, but
0: mm-hmm. it would be from that to, like, going well, it's home- not depriving. It's not depriving yourself. You're actually... You're, I wouldn't say it's depriving. I would say it's like you're protecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But at the time, you think, but at the time,
1: I was like, I don't want to deprive myself. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. At the time, like, and um, even though I knew that it was going to do something to my gut, I didn't necessarily, I hadn't done enough research to realize just how much damage it would do. Or like going home to Michigan to visit my, mother-in-law at the time being like, Oh, it's fine. You know, she, it was coming from a place of love from her, but Mm -hmm. I would be like, I just, I can't have that piece of cake. Like Mm -hmm. I, you don't know what it will do to me internally Mm. and you're not going to be able to see it, but like, please, can you respect this boundary? Eventually over the years, they did start to respect it. But at the beginning it was so freaking hard. And I would give in so much Mm -hmm. because I just didn't want to make other people feel bad. I didn't want to be like, I can't have that. I didn't want them to feel bad that i wasn't eating their food and so i did it but then i got yeah. to a point where i was like why why am i doing mm. that i'm getting like so fired up no, about this no.
0: and <laughs> i'm over here like shaking my head like ah like i want to say so much <laughs> about this because okay so this is i would say the biggest barrier that people have when it comes to progressing with their health mm-hmm. is we literally have put so much emphasis on the food that we eat mm-hmm. that it literally becomes in our identity that yes. if you talk about taking things out of your diet people will literally be offended by mm-hmm. that. We've become so attached to our food where True. we're literally offended if people don't want to eat what we give them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so a lot of reason why people struggle with this is because they don't like making people feel bad. Yep. And so the work that I do with my clients, and this happens over and over and over, is to help them remember that you know they're doing this because they have a health issue that is dependent upon mm-hmm. the things that they put in their body. Yep. They no longer have the luxury to make that decision without a consequence. Yep. Okay. And to understand that is huge. And mm-hmm. so when you really shift into that mindset of understanding the reason why you are having to say no in that moment that you have to let go of people's expectations of what they have of you. Because at the end of the day, when you eat that cheese pizza, they are not going to go home and deal with the joint pain. Mm -hmm. You are going to go home and deal with the joint pain. Exactly. So it's really about setting those boundaries for yourself, connecting to, like we said, connecting back to that deeper intention. Once you've made the connection, that food does that for you, right? Mm -hmm. If you haven't made that connection yet, you're not going to be likely to be in that situation where you can't say no. And you're just going to be like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll have some french fries with Mm -hmm. this person and I guess I'll have, you know, that burger or whatever. But when you really do start to identify the things that are triggering you and you can really make that strong connection, you're going to know next time. (laughs) Like if someone offers it to you, you're going to think about it. And you do. You have that moment where you can think about, is this going to how is this going to affect me possibly for the next week? Is it worth it?
1: Or more, or more. I've had times where food flares me up for more than a week and I'm just like, oh my gosh. But again, yeah, like Erica said, you have to make that deeper connection, that deeper intention. And until you get there, of course, you're going to be making a lot of decisions based on like, oh, well, I don't want to make them feel bad. The other thing that I want to say is It comes back to, first of all, being your own best advocate, not just Mm -hmm. in the doctor's office, but in your daily life, every single day, it's practice. Every time you say no to something, and we're not telling you to say no every time someone offers you something that Mm -hmm. you really want, whatever, that's totally Mm -hmm. your decision. But the point is being your own best advocate and practicing every single day, making those boundaries, because that is so important. And also the more that you create those boundaries and the more consistent you mm-hmm. are in creating those boundaries, the more people will go, Oh, this isn't just a phase, or this isn't just something that yes! they're doing. They oh. will support you. They will connect with that. They will respect those. Yes! Boundaries, but you have
0: to be consistent. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is, this is the conversation of my dreams right now, because I love this so much. And this is so, 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 so true. The more people that see you consistent with things, holding your boundaries, you know, they really see like, hey, my friend's actually really dedicated to her health, her health, and these things are actually helping her and I can mm-hmm. clearly see the difference in not just her physical well-being, but her mental well-being and she's in a place of empowerment. Like people, like Rachel said, they will respect that. And if anything, that support will... Support it. They'll support it. But it's also contagious. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this. And yes. I've seen, girl, I've seen this reflect. <laughs> I've seen this reflect on to literally so, so many. many of my friends. Some of my guy friends, they follow my Instagram account, but... I'm sure like half of the stuff i say goes over their head mm-hmm. but a lot of the times you know i post a lot of my food in my videos and my plant-based alternatives and stuff like that and sometimes you know i haven't seen one of our climber friends that's not in our immediate close group but just kind of in our larger group of friends mm-hmm. and they'll be like hey i gave up dairy a year ago because of you and i started yeah. to yes. know i love it i'm like what Yeah. I like like, my mind is literally blown. So you have an impact on people, whether you realize it or not. Absolutely. That's such a huge point. I have
1: so many friends, both friends that I used to be super close with, that I am still super close with, that I'm just acquaintances with that reach out every single week, practically saying like, oh, I made this change. Oh, I made that change. I have a friend a few months back that reached out to me and said, hey, I was at a super, super low point. He had a couple of like really big things that happened in life, super low point. And he was like, I finally took your advice that you've been talking about for years. He's like, I stopped eating dairy and Mm -hmm. I like started paying attention to how my body was feeling. And I dropped like 20, 30 pounds and I have never felt better. And I am just wanted to thank you. These things, you have such an ability to have a positive ripple effect. Please do not dwell on like, oh, I'm going to make this person feel bad. Know that you are doing the best for yourself and in doing the best for yourself, you you will impact the people around you, but you have to keep that consistency, yeah. that promise to yourself. Mm-hmm. And once you start feeling better, not only are the like physical health routines that you have in place going to impact them, but the way that you think about things, your mindset will start impacting other people. Mm-hmm. I hear it every single day as well. I have, com- I am a completely different person than mm-hmm. I was before my diagnosis, yeah. than I was a year ago, two years oh, yeah. ago. And people see that and people feed off of that. And it makes me so freaking happy that I can do that for other people. But guess Mm -hmm. what? You can do that for people in your life as well. So easily, honestly, without even realizing you're doing it, just keep doing you keep focusing on your own journey. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think people, okay. So we live in a society where most of the, most people, regardless if they have a disease or not, are not functioning at optimal health Mm -hmm. whatsoever, okay? So everyone you know is dealing with something, Mm -hmm. whether it's headaches, whether it's acne, whether it's bloating, whether it's congestion, whether it's uh, digestive issues. Whatever the case is, most people are not feeling good, okay? And so when you start to do things and take the power into your hands and you're learning all this stuff and you're implementing, implementing it into your life, and you're being consistent about it, and, you know, you're sharing these things with friends and family going, hey, you should try this, like, you know, try this delicious vegan, you know, gluten-free thing that I've made, mm-hmm. and they eat it, and it's like people, I think it's attractive to people because we don't see this much in our society, yeah. right? Not alone just with the someone, you know, us dealing with the illness and having to do this for ourselves. I'm just talking in general, when someone makes a lot of positive changes to their life and that people can clearly see how much it's affected them mm-hmm. for the po- you know for the positive it's like they're just naturally people like i said it's just naturally people are going to gravitate to that and they're going to be curious mm-hmm. and they may not even tell you that they're doing these things cuz yep. like i said i have a lot of people i know in my life it takes them like a year for them to finally tell me, like, "Hey!" Then they tell me all casually too, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, yeah, so like, yeah." No. Like I'm like, oh, uh, hello! This That's is huge! You
1: should be so proud of yourself!" Like-, yeah, or like, they'll
0: be like, "Oh, I do meatless Mondays now," or um, yeah, stuff like that. that, or like, uh-huh. "I stopped buying regular ice cream and I found this really good cashew based one." Mm-hmm. Like, whatever these simple things. It's like the biggest thing for me, and the reason why I started my Instagram account. Was not just to, um, you know, hold myself accountable, but it was also to hopefully inspire people to have make these changes in their life that I knew that were positively impacting me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you know that that wasn't my main that wasn't like entirely my main focus. I didn't yeah. even know if anyone was listening to me, and I didn't even know if anyone cared. But I knew, like, hey, these things are working for me. And guess what? over time, when I look back at the autoimmune community, I'm like, Rachel, we both talked about this. We kind of feel like pioneers in this because mm-hmm. not a lot of people were doing that. And now there's so many people trying to become empowered over mm-hmm. their lives and their health. And uh, it's just an amazing thing to watch unfold.
1: <laughs> Eric and I have so much more to say about this conversation. So we will catch you on the next episode. We're going to continue this conversation for a part three.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. We want to remind you guys that we are not medical professionals, nor do we give medical advice. So please do not stop taking any medications without consulting your doctor. However, if you'd like to learn more about holistic ways to manage your autoimmune symptoms, we each offer private coaching services and would love to help you. Stay tuned for our next episode.
1: In the meantime, let's connect on Instagram. We are at autoimmune and you, and we would love to hear from you. And if you want to follow each of our personal accounts, we would love that too. You can find our Instagram handles and our websites in the show notes. We'll chat next time. And always remember, you are more powerful than you think. No. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew
0: it. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, sounds complicated. <laughs> well, this episode. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>